some of you guys are awake. I see a few of you. I heard somebody walk in while I was said, hey, I'm, a, I'm almost awake. I said, well, good. Hey, well, listen, today we're, uh, we're in our third week of uh, a, a place to belong. And we've talked about the prodigal son. We talked about last week, you know, I, I belong because I believe, because of my faith in Christ. And, and so uh, a lot of uh, what's going on in our world today, a lot of people keep asking questions about, you know, what's going on in Israel and, hey, are these the end times and all these kind of things. And so today we've got a special guest speaker. We've got uh, Dr. Kevin Dickelman who is going to come and he's going to teach today. He was our guide when we were in Israel. We had a team that went over there and, uh, and really we, I've shared with you guys, it just brought the Bible to life. And so uh, Dr. Kevin Dickelman knows uh, way more about Israel and about you know, God's promises and everything than probably anybody I know. I mean, he's a, a wealth of knowledge. And so I've asked him to come and share today. And so uh, Dr. Kevin, if you would come on up and uh, if y'all would give him a warm journey welcome. And just so you guys know, our team will be uh, sharing tonight, and uh, Dr. Kevin will be here for that as well at 6 o'clock. So if you guys want to be a part of that, it's not going to be broadcast, but it will be here in the room. So if you guys want to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. Glad you're here, brother. Love you, man. Have fun. Thank you. What a great pleasure it is to be here. And I I want to tell you something that you already know. You have an amazing pastor. Really do. Really do. Um, I have a joy. I have a joy and pleasure of traveling to a lot of churches, speaking to a lot of churches, and uh, you're a very special church in my life, my wife's life. Uh, we met uh, met Mike and Lori through some friends that go to the church here that used to be up in, in Huntsville, and uh, we fell in love with them. We just love you. Got a great church here, and I'm honored to be here with you guys and share some things with you. And I want to I want to just ask you the question: Are you willing Are you willing to be a turkey this morning? It's kind of question, okay? Um, we'll get to that in a few minutes, but uh, just want to ask you that question. I want to start with a couple of things that are very important to me, um, and I want to share with you some things today that, that I hope will be uh, beneficial, but I want to take you somewhere. Mike was talking about, uh, about a place to belong, and a place to belong is you with Jesus. In the church is where we establish that relationship. We grow that relationship. We mature that relationship. But the truth is, we really work through that relationship with Jesus. It's not here in the church. It's in our homes. It's in our streets. It's in our workplaces. It's in our schools. And that's what we need to take Jesus to. Would you agree with that on me? Okay, so here's, I want to take you this. this I want to take the first slide right here. Okay. This is called echad. I'm going to teach you the Hebrew word echad. Ready? And you've got to have the Okay. It's not a cod, it's a chad, right? So say that with me just one time, a chad. Great. Now I'm going to take you to the scripture that that comes from, okay? And here it is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And it reads in Hebrew, shma, which means hear or pay attention or listen or, or perceive, understand what's being said. This hear word is not just the hear. It's not just listen. It's perceive. It's understand what's being said. So it's hear, O Israel, hear, Israel. Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. And the interesting thing about this is very, very interesting because in the Hebrew, this word says, I'm not going to take you to Hebrew lesson, but watch this with me. Listen, pay attention, perceive, understand this. The Lord, your God, the Lord. In this sentence, which is actually a command to the Jews, it's called the Shema. It's the first scripture that every young Jewish boy and girl learns as a child. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. It's one. But in this interesting thing, watch this with me, okay? It says, the Lord your God, the Lord. 
we see right here in this scripture in Deuteronomy the Trinity of God. It's the Lord. It's God. And it's the Lord. This triune God is all this. Understand this is one. Echad. Echad. And I want to take you on a journey this morning of the word Echad. Because the goal of this this morning is to say this. Just like the worship team was singing. There is one Lord and one God. And there is one relationship, one relationship in your life that is more important than any relationship you have, do, or will ever have. And it's with Jesus Christ. It's the oneness of that relationship. If you're struggling in any relationship today, I'm going to tell you right now, at the start of solving that relationship is making sure that that one relationship with Jesus Christ is where it should be and the rest of it will work out because Jesus will take you through any other issues. You believe that? Do you really believe that? Have you lived it? Yeah. So in this text, it's from Deuteronomy 6. I want to read this to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And this is what it says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. It doesn't say some of your heart. It's all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you will teach them to your children. Wow. There's a Hebrew word called toldot. Toldot. It means generations. And what that means is this. You find something very interesting. I was at a bar mitzvah in Los Angeles. I'm from Los Angeles uh, with a whole bunch of friends. There's about 1,000 people there. And this 13-year-old boy stands up. And he was being bar mitzvahed. And he read the Shema. And he read some Hebrew text that was taught to him by the, by the, by the rabbis and by his father and by the men in his community. And he stood up there at 13 years old. And he read and he said, today I have become a man. I got to tell you, the tears came in my eyes. That a 13-year-old boy had been taught by men what a man is. Boy, do we need a community. Do we need a relationship? Do we need a culture that teaches boys what men are? And girls what girls are? Because boys are boys to become men, and girls are girls to become women. And that's what the Scripture says. That's not my opinion. That's what God says. Oh, do we need that? God is the source of all of this. Now, I want to take it a couple different places. Follow me this way. This is the scripture from Genesis. This is where Adam says this. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and the mother is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Check this. Adam and Eve didn't have a mother or father. Hmm. What's going on? Told dot generations. You see, the Jewish community for all time has been really concerned about generations. What I do for my children, what I do for my grandchildren. That's why there are 64 genealogies in the Old Testament, folks. Because they're saying it's important what we do for our families. It's important what we do for the fo- those following us, those walking after us, right? And so Adam says this, this is the woman, and we will now become echad, one. We become one. Listen, if you're in a marriage and you're not one, the first place to go to is Jesus, okay? Because you don't have that relationship that God's called you to have unless it starts with Jesus. There's just no other way to go. Watch this. How important is marriage to God? How important is it? The Bible begins with marriage. 
It begins with Adam and Eve. Now follow me on this, because in just going through the Bible stories in your head, you can realize there's a lot of very important marriages in the Old Testament, aren't there? There's Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and all the marriages, Moses, all the marriages are important in the Old Testament. But watch this. The Bible begins with marriage in Adam and Eve, right? At the very last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, Malachi chapter 2, God says something very interesting. God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Why? Because by the time Malachi writes, the people of God had divorced themselves from God. And God is talking about not just the marriage of a man and a woman, but the divorce between man and God. You see, we have divorced ourselves from God. Look at the culture, right? And when we divorce ourselves from God, we have conflict in our marriages, in our homes, in our culture, in our politics, in our education, and everywhere. We have divorced ourselves from God. God hates that. He says it at the first, he sets marriage apart at the beginning. He tells you, I don't want divorce at the end of the Old Testament. What's the first miracle Jesus does in the New Testament? He goes to the wedding feast, right? And he turns water into wine. He takes something that is common, he turns it into something that is sweet. That's what God does in relationships. That's what he does in marriages, you see. And so we have the Old Testament begins with marriage and ends with I hate divorce. It again starts the New Testament with marriage again. And watch this now. This is the New Testament. Because now Jesus is on the scene. And what happens at the end of, at the end of Revelation? Right? We're invited to what? The marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? You see, marriage is extremely important to God. And it's that foundation of the oneness that we, we go through all the time. The oneness that we go through all the time. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and that you will be a blessing. What's he saying? God comes to Abram. He says, Abram, I need you to leave your family. I need you to leave your land. I need you to leave your culture. I need you to follow me. I will lead you to a place you don't know yet. I'll take you to some place that'll probably be scary on the journey. It's going to be a long journey through the desert into a land you've never been. But I'll bless you there. Now, let's fast forward just for a moment and let's stand here as if Abraham is standing before you telling you what happened. God called me from the earth of the Chaldees. I didn't want to go. I was scared. I had to leave everything. But in leaving so, God brought me to a place and he blessed me. And he blessed my sons. And he blessed my family. And he blessed my grandsons. And he blessed generations after me he's blessed. And the nation of Israel grew up because I followed God in the steps that he called me to play. Now in the Old Testament there's a Hebrew expression called lech lecha. Again we're getting to the lech, okay? Sorry about that. But lech, lech simply means walk. Walk. Lecha follows up with walk, walk. What it means in Hebrew is walk in the footsteps that I lead. Follow my steps. When Jesus says, follow me, he is saying, lechacha. Follow in the footsteps that I've set before you. And when you do, you will be blessed. Let me say it again. Follow in the footsteps that I've called you and you will be blessed. 
Imagine if Abraham could sit here today and say, listen, look at what God has done for the nation of Israel. Look at the blessings he's poured out on my family. Yes, tough stuff, absolutely, because all the families go through that. I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed by you. Now, there's something interesting about this, because in the Hebrew, when you unpack this, what this really means, it doesn't mean I will put a blessing on you. It means I will walk blessings before and after you as you walk. But if you curse them, then I will walk before you and behind you in curses. It's a continuous, not just a, here's a blessing here, but here are blessings. Not just there's a curse here, but there are curses. Now, which walk would you like to walk? That's what we're facing today. Facing today. I was in Israel um, uh, with, the, with the group. I came back for a week. I went back for another tour. And on the 7th, we left the hotel at 6.30 in the morning. On my phone, I got a red alert saying that their, their rockets have been, let, have been out and released from Gaza. The airport is about 20 miles north of, of Gaza. And so we had to sit, we stopped the bus. We got off and said, what do we do? And I said to the guide, I think the smart move is for us to go to the airport. Because if we don't go to the airport, there's no chance of us getting out. By the time we're sitting there, they released 30 rockets, 50 rockets, 100 rockets. We knew it was serious. Typically, I've been there when they released, released rockets before. It was three or four rockets at a time. This was something more serious. They, had just, they were shutting the country down. I said, let's go to the airport because they've got a bomb shelter under the airport that's, that holds about 60,000 people. We're safe there. But at least there's a chance that we'll be able to get out at some point in time. We're the only vehicle on the road for an hour and 40 minutes going from Tiberias down to the airport. The only vehicle, except for military vehicles passing us about 110 miles an hour. We got to the airport. There's about 1,000 people in the airport. We're the only bus that drove up there. And, and so other people would be moving out of the airport. And I said, let's try to get our tickets. So we walked up to get our tickets. I was the first one in line. And the lady handed me her ticket, the ticket, and as she did, her phone rang. She picked it up, and I heard her daughter crying out, Mommy, Mommy, there's rockets hitting the, the city. They're, they're bombing our house. They're killing us, Mommy. Where do I run? Come home quick. Just at that moment, the employees of the airport started running through. Run to the bomb shelter. Leave everything. Just run. There's a large explosion about a mile away, south of us. You can see the, the smoke coming up there. So we're all running to the bomb shelter. And then something really weird happened. Because I hate small places. Don't you? So I was kind of one of the last ones kind of going as slow as I could to get to the bomb shelter. Everybody's running down six flights of stairs. And just before I walked down that flight of stairs, I turned around and looked. And the entire airport purses, suitcases, everything was just left. It just, just left. People just ran. And I got home. I didn't think about time. I got home. My wife says, imagine if you were a woman that says, I'm going to go to the bathroom. You went to the bathroom and everybody disappeared and you walked out and went, I missed the rapture. God even took the Jews. I must be really bad. It was just kind of really this weird sensation about that. I wish I'd taken a picture of that, but I didn't. So we're down in the bomb shelter for about 40 minutes, and as we came back up, uh, well, just on a temporary reprieve, um, we were there sitting in the center for about an hour, and we saw two pilots and four uh, uh, flight attendants running down the hallway, screaming, 
if you're on flight 239, we're leaving right now. What we didn't know was we were the last American carrier, Delta Airlines, in Israel at the time. And they wanted to get the American plane out of the airport. And so they, we ran to the plane, got on, and flew out. And about a third of our luggage came with us. But uh, uh, we flew out. We flew out one of the runways that had not been used in years just to get out of the airport and go north. Yeah, there. I'd been there before in war. But here's the thing about this. Israel's going to survive. I had a conversation with the Prime Minister of Israel a few years back, and he asked me the question. He said, Does, will, will the church, will the Christians have one more revival before the Messiah comes? But here's the leader of the, of the Jewish world asking me if the Christians will stand up again one more time before the Messiah comes. And I said, this is what I can promise you. The Bible tells us that three things will be here when the Messiah steps foot on the Mount of Olives. His church, his word, and Israel. They'll be here. And I love all three things that God loves. But here's the interesting thing. Since Israel became a nation in 1947, let me skip skip this. Go ahead with it. This is the nation of Israel. About 280 miles long by 60 miles wide at the widest. One-sixth one-sixth the size of Alabama. One-sixth of 7 million people, 7.1 million people, okay? This is the size of Israel in the Mideast. The dark green are the Muslim countries that surround it. 22 Muslim countries surround Israel. And their goal in life is to wipe Israel off the map. That's their goal in life. It's written. It's in their charters. This is what Israel has done since 1947. It has led the world in transportation. Anybody use Waze? Anybody use Waze? A couple of, couple of teenagers from Israel invented Waze, created Waze. I talked to them about, about 12, 14 years ago. I said, we've invented this really cool thing. Look at it. It's really close. That's cool. They sold it to Google for a billion dollars. Yeah. They did some amazing things. They actually have designed and developed a flying car, a seat of fly. It's incredible. Things in transportation. What they've done also in agriculture, energy. Um, they have under, under the desert fisheries that provide the best fish of anywhere in the world. They went to India and they increased the, the population of the cows in India and the ability for them to, to provide milk and their health extended it 10 times over because their technology in, in agriculture and in, in animal husbandry. In technology, you would not have a cell phone if it weren't for Israel today. They developed a chip there in Israel. Okay? Their technology is absolutely amazing. Their medicine. Um, this, is a, this is a pill right here that you swallow. It has a camera in it. Also, I don't have it on here, but yeah, here, right down here is a rewalk. I watched a woman who had been, late, who had been, who had been a, a paraplegic for 21 years. They wheeled her into the room in the hospital. They put this, what's called exoskeleton on her legs. They put a thing like a watch on her wrist, and she pushed it, and she stood up and walked for the first time in 21 years because of technology, because of medicine, because of what God has given Israel as the blessing to do here, okay? The defense systems, the Iron Dome, the David's David's sling, the arrow program that defend Israel. Listen, Israel's army is called, check this, don't miss this, the Israel Defense Forces. 
not the Israel offensive forces, not the Israel attack forces, because Israel, every soldier that fights for Israel has a little thing in his pocket. And each time a, a commander would walk up and say, show me your code. He had to pull that out and tell you that his code is save a life, save the world. They do not take innocent lives unless it's absolutely necessary. That's why this war in Gaza is a whole new war. What I'm telling you is God has given Israel blessings to bless the world since it became a nation in 1947, and it has. Okay? Now let me take you on a history of Palestine. Palestine. What we know about Gaza is this. Gaza is, is, is six miles wi- five miles wide and 25 miles long. It has two million people in it. But the idea of Palestine that we need to understand is this. There's never been an established Palestine, ever, in all of history. There has never been any leaders of Palestine, ever, in all of history. There's never been a government of Palestine, ever, in history. There's never been borders of Palestine, ever, in history. And the Palestinians was a name given to the, to the residents, both Arabs, Jews, and Christians, before the Jews came back to the land. So understand something. They were called Palestinians because that was a name actually given in 200 AD by Hadrian, who got so mad at the Jews that he destroyed Jerusalem, and he came in and renamed Jerusalem, Aeola Capitolina, after the three triune gods of Rome, and he nicknamed it Palestine for the reason to, and that was a, that was a Latin translation of Philistines. Okay, what I'm telling you is this: there is no Palestine, folks. Never has been, never will be. No nation on earth that has ever controlled this land bridge called Israel has ever claimed that land for themselves. Never in all of history. Not the Egyptians, not the Assyrians, not the Persians, not the Babylonians, not the Greeks, not even the Romans. Never claimed that to be their land. It's always been Israel. Because God said, you know what? It's my land. God said to Jacob, I will give you this land as I promised to your grandfather and your father and you'll be Israel and be nations. And God gave this land to Israel. Gave the land. Here. John says this. I want to take you to the Lord's Prayer. Here's the Lord's Prayer. Ready for the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, it's not it. I want to propose to you that the prayer that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 is not the Lord's Prayer. I want to take you to the Lord's Prayer here today, folks. It's in the Gospel of John. It's in the Gospel of John. It begins this way. Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer as he goes to the garden. Talking about the apostles. Keep them in my name. The name that you have given me. That they may become one. As we are one. Jesus continues his prayer about you and me and you. And this we praise. I don't ask on behalf of these apostles alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that you 
us, we may become one. Even as the Father is in me, and I in you, that they also will be in us, that the world may know that they believe in me. Jesus' prayer before he went to the cross was not that we would have a good life. It's that we become one with him. One. What's it take to become one? What's the one involved? There's enemies of one, folks. There's enemies of the oneness in your life, in your family, in your church, in your schools, in your politics. There's enemies of the one that God wants us to be one with. Let me give you an example. This is the Hamas charter. Hamas controls Gaza. They were elected, they were voted in by 78% of the vote. Now I know what you're thinking. Did they cheat? Of course they cheated. But they were voted in by 78%. You know how they teach how to count in Gaza? I've been there, I've been in the schools. They teach this way. If I have 10 Jews and I kill six of them, how many Jews do I have left? That's how they teach math in Gaza. I was in a third grade classroom in Gaza City. Third grade classroom. The Mediterranean Sea had been colored red by the crayons of the third grade children. And I asked the teacher, what is this all about? And he says, the children are taught when they kill all the Jews, the Mediterranean Sea will run red with their blood. Third grade, folks. In recess, sixth and seventh graders take wooden guns that go out and they practice shooting Jews for recess. Are they evil people? The indoctrination is evil. The doctrine is evil. This is the Hamas charter that they developed to rule Hamas. Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it just as it obliterated others before. There's more. It goes on. Allah is its target. The prophet is its model. The Quran is its constitution. Jihad, which is evil, which is, which is war, which is violence, this means violence, is its path. And death for the sake of Allah is the loftiest of its wishes. Goes on. There's more. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. This is written in the Hamas charter, folks. When the Jews will hide behind stones and trees, the stones and trees will say, Oh, Muslims, oh, Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. This is their written, established purpose for existence in Gaza. How do you write a peace treaty with that? Kind of tough, isn't it? Now, just so we're clear on some things, because I haven't got a lot of time to talk about this, just so we're clear. The name Allah does not have anything to do whatsoever with the God of the Bible. I'm an archaeologist. I happened to be in a cave one time when I saw something very interesting that was pointed out to me. A thousand years before Muhammad was drawn in a cave, the God Allah and his three daughters that were worshipped by pagans a thousand years before Muhammad ever used the name Allah. They believe that Jesus is a prophet. They believe that Jesus, that, that Allah came to Mary, Miriam, not even Allah, they call it Ish, Isha. I'm sorry, Isa, Isa, because his wife's name was Isha, and his baby's name is Isa. 
okay? And they say this, that Allah came to Miriam and said, you're going to have a baby, and she says, I'm a virgin, and he says, I don't care. And she says, I don't want to, I don't want to. And she argued with Allah. And she went outside and went underneath this date palm, and she birthed the baby. And the people came out to argue with her, and the baby, just as a newborn, said, I'm a prophet of Allah. This is what they teach. They teach that Jesus never claimed he was deity, that the apostles claimed he did, but Jesus never claimed it. They teach, they teach that Jesus taught jihad, violence. There's many, many other things I can tell you about that. But what you need to understand is this. This comes out of the Quran, folks. This is not just isolated of, 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 uh, um, because of Hamas, because, because um, Hezbollah has the same parts in their charter. I'm not bashing Muslims. I'm saying to you that the doctrine that they are taught is straight out of the pits of the deepest pits of hell. So what's, what's the enemies of one? What's the enemies of one? Here it is. The Quran, 108 war verses. The Book of Mormon. If you want to talk to a Mormon some point in time, don't argue with him. Ask him if you would sit down, open up their Book of Mormon, and read the first two pages of the Book of Mormon in the introduction. Where it says that, that Lehi was the most famous prophet of all the Jews, and God told Lehi to leave the land of Jerusalem and go to the promised land, which was in another continent. Then ask the question, where is that in the Bible? And we're done. What about this? Course in Miracles. This is religious science. This says that all roads do lead to God and all roads do lead to light. You've got Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets. Harry Potter. I'm not bashing the Harry Potter books. I've never read one. I'm telling you, this takes us to spirituality that is not of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm telling you. And the culture is very, very simple and very, very deceiving to do that. Then you've got this symbol, which Tom Cruise loves this symbol. This is Scientology. And this symbol right here is the Bhagavad Gita. Is that all men become one with the light. You see, the enemies of the one is what Satan wants to take you to and then rather away from the Holy Bible. These are the enemies of one. Let me take you to another place. I went on the internet, looked up di several different places, and this is what the internet tells us are the issues facing Americans. Okay? Affordable health care, drug addiction, affordability of college education, racism, federal budget deficit, climate change, economic equality, illegal immigration, tourism, sexism, election integrity, job opportunities for all Americans. Are those facing us? Sure they are. But I substitute in high schools. I have a joy of going and meeting those students. This last week, a man came up to, as I walked into class. Man at the video school walked up. And he says, "Can I talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm thinking I'm a substitute. What do you want with me?" He said, "My son was in your classes several times, and uh, he talked about you and how you always encouraged him. He committed suicide last night. What did you say to him to encourage him?" What did I miss that I didn't? These are the issues that all your publications say are facing Americans. And they're real issues. These are the issues facing students today. This is real. This is what destroys the oneness of you, 
with Jesus Christ, you with your families, you with your culture, you with the schools. Listen, wokeness, broken educational system. I was, re- I was in, a, in a book the other day. I was in a book the other day. It was, it was an was a, um, earth sciences book. I opened it up, and here's a page that shows Los Angeles, pictured Los Angeles with complete brown sky. I'm thinking, yeah, I remember that. That was a 45-year-old picture. I looked up, the book was printed last year. I said to the students, you're being lied to. This is not what Los Angeles looks like today. It's clear it's clean now. Yes, there's, yes, there's, there's, there's issues of, of the air. It's in China. It's in India. It's not here in America. And uh, by the way, gas is $7.07 a gallon today in Los Angeles. Okay? Because the taxes to fight climate change in California. You see, we're, we're not, look at the stress, anxiety, insecurity. We're drugging anxiety, not fixing it. Poverty, lack of access, transportation, addictions, substance abuse, broken families, step-parents. Step-parents, right? If you're, I'm a step-parent. When I married my wife, I said I do, and I had no idea what I did. <laughs> I got an 8-year-old angel and a 16-year-old girl that was out of control on drugs. I had the choice. I can just wait until she's out of the house or I can love her. About two years later, she walked in my office. She, she said, can I, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, she says, can I call you dad? Because you've earned it. You see, her real father told her one point in time that he was sorry she was ever born and he wished he wasn't her father. And I got to tell you, that first list, that first list, what the culture says we're fighting is not the battles we're fighting, folks. These are the battles for our children. Battles for our homes. These things are, are real to us. This is what Satan wants to put in our culture and destroy our oneness. Destroy our oneness. But listen, Jesus says, no, no, no. Do you have any idea how much I love you? Do you have any idea the path I want to take you on in your life of being one with me? It's places you'll never even imagine. We took our people to, the, you took your people to, the, to Israel, and it was an incredible trip. You ain't seen nothing yet till you walk with Jesus for several days, several years, several weeks. There is one. There's one body. It's us. Can I ask you a big favor? Would you do something for me? Just a, 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 this next week when you come here, would you do something? Make sure that no one in this audience, no one in this room is sitting alone. Would you do that? Make it, make it a purpose that, you know what? I'm going to walk in here. I'm not going to just sit with the people I sit with. If there's someone sitting over here, I'm going to sit with them. One people, two people. You're a body of Christ. Right now, if this was the body of Christ, it would look like you've been to a horrible accident and been dismembered. You see, that's the oneness of the body of Christ. How about this? There's one spirit. There's one spirit. It's not the spirit of Islam. It's not the spirit of religious science. It's not the spirit of Mormonism. It's not the spirit of anything other than Jesus Christ. That's the spirit. That's the true spirit. There's one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and the Father. Here's the question today. Here it is. Are you willing to put yourself in the place of the turkey this morning? You realize that when you sit down at that table this week, that turkey gave his all. He gave his all. 
What are you willing to sacrifice this morning to be one? Are you a double-minded person that needs to be one with yourself? Jesus can bring you together. What he does, he reprioritizes things. He throws the things out you don't need that that break up that oneness. Is there a relationship in your life? What do you need to get rid of so that you have that relationship with Jesus Christ and anything that you can get out of that relationship? I'm going to tell you what, there's some relationships that can't be salvaged. There are. Because of decisions that we've made in previous days. There are. And those are hard. But are they salvageable? Jesus Christ can salvage anything. He can. If both sides are willing to sit down and say, Jesus, I will be whatever you want me to be. And I'll put my selfishness aside. There's one body. What would it take for you to be one church? One body of Christ. Uplifting each other. Praying for the pastors. Praying for each other. Praying for the staff. Listen, we're going to have a service about miracles that Jesus has done here. Right? You want to see a miracle? Look in a mirror. Look in a mirror. And thank Jesus for the miracles he's done in your life that you never saw this year. Maybe the traffic accident that you missed because Jesus protected you. Maybe the injury, maybe the hurt in your heart that he protected you from. Jesus Christ is calling you today to be one. To be one. What do you have to give up to be one? Is it an individual one? Is it a relationship one? Is it a church one? Have you spoken words against people that isn't right? When you sit down at that table this this Thursday, you're going to sit with family, and you're all going to go, I'm just so glad to have all of my family here. I love every one of them. Liar. (laughs) But let me ask you a question. If you were to say, Jesus, sit with me at this table. Be my Lord, be my Savior. Be my oneness at this table help me to be one who makes this family one again. Wow. So I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment. Stand with me. The invitation this morning is this. A lot of times you don't come prepared to make a hard decision in your life. You come to church. But if you were to drive home tonight and have an accident, all of a sudden that accident would change a lot of things in your life. I was rushed to the hospital because they thought I had a heart attack. That changed my whole itinerary. Sometimes Jesus does things to change your life and say, you need a wake-up call. Sometimes they're timely, sometimes they're instantaneously. But here's the question. If you've been struggling with something for a short time or a long time, the question is when when will you give it up and become one with Jesus? If you've been in a relationship that's struggling, when will you say, Jesus, I'll give this to you. Let's do everything we can to fix this. If you've had relationships with someone else, bad mouth, bad conversations, hate, anger, when, when will you finally come to Jesus and say, let's be one? When? I'm going to offer you the time is right now. Right now. No better time in your life than right now.
to say this is the time in my life. We'll sing a song and ask you to come forward. People come, come up here and pray for you. You know what? What, what? What's embarrassing? What's embarrassing is that we look in the mirror and realize we haven't done what we need to do. Not, not here. Not here. Sing a song. Let me, let me pray with you. I want to pray this. Jesus, at this moment, at this moment, the moment you died, the curtain was torn in half. So you said, I can't wait to be with you. Jesus, at this moment, there's people in this room right now that need that moment to say, now's the time. I'm done. I've come to the end of myself. I need this. I need to give up things and you sacrifice things. Lord, I want to be with you one. I'll be one with you. And in that, Lord, then you lead me, you lead me to be one after this with everything else. So Lord, direct my life now. Let me make that decision right now in the name of Jesus. And I want to say this. This is not coerced, folks. Don't do this because there's an invitation to him. Do this because you need to make this decision on your own.